Virginia Tech drops its fourth straight game while its former quarterback authors the upset of the season. UVA didn't lose because it had the week off. And we'll recap ACC Basketball Media Day in Charlotte, the unofficial start of hoop season. All that and betting tips from Mike Svetitz Front Page Bets, this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome to episode 93 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and here as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year, and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, good to hear from you. Good morning, Mike. So uh, this weekend, you obviously were down in Blacksburg for uh, the game against Miami, a game that going into the year, I think we were, we were both kind of excited about, and um, oh, yeah. certainly not the way things kind of uh, unraveled. I had essentially the weekend off. I took in the, the blue and white scrimmage for Virginia basketball, but the highlight of my weekend was we have a neighbor, and every year for his church and for uh, his kind of immediate neighbors, uh, he hosts a big pig roast, buries a full hog in, in the ground, lets it smolder for a few days, uh, pulls it out, and uh, we serve that up. Everybody brings a, their own side dish, and uh, and we had that on Saturday. So so the fact that things have not gone well uh, for the Hokies this season kind of opened me up. It's the first time I've been able to, to go to that event since we've moved in here. Nice. We had a, um, yesterday, family, we here in our little small town, there's an annual, but this is the first time in three years because of COVID, but uh, a seafood festival. And it's a three-day event and just vendors everywhere. There's carnival rides for the kids. There's there's typical festival type food, and there's also vendors, you know, plying plying their wares, artists and such. It's it's really good. There are puppet shows for the kids, <laughs> petting zoo, and lots of good seafood. Well, you know, that's up my alley. It's another one of the things on my bucket list, I guess, or on my to-do list here to check off. I need to uh, come out for your family seafood where you crush all the all the blue crabs. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I need to need to come out now for for that event. And uh, yeah, so sat- Saturdays and weekends, uh, still getting in some, some good family time and some good stuff. Sunday, honestly, we spent raking leaves. Uh, I can't remember if you've been. <laughs> Not high on my list. No, I can't remember if you've been by the house, but I live in a very wooded area. Uh, and our backyard in particular is essentially um, outlined by, by giant trees and it's beautiful and beautiful views. And um, my backyard kind of descends down to a creek uh, and, and then more woods uh, out into some public land. And um, we love it and we love the views and, and we love all that. But man, <laughs> getting, getting those leaves up off the ground. And, um, and of course, you know, with two little ones, every time you rake together a pile, to them, that's something to jump and land in. Of course. Which is wonderful. And, and you know, we set up the camera. We got some great slow-mo videos of the kids diving into the, the leaf piles. Uh, but at one point, my wife looked up and she said, what happened to the pile? And we realized <laughs> it had been completely returned to spread out through the, the yard. And uh, so good, good, good fall fun. Uh, not so much fun for the Hokies, David, as referenced Saturday in Blacksburg. Now, if you just looked at the final score, you might have thought that game was a little closer, a little more competitive than it actually was. But but Virginia Tech fell behind twenty to nothing. It, it tallied all of one hundred and eighteen yards of offense through the first three quarters. You wrote your column about Brent Pry trying to focus on, on the positives. But David, when you walked out of there, that wasn't a particularly positive vibe. I imagine in Blacksburg, it was not, Mike. Yeah, they've they've dropped four straight. Uh, it's the third time in five years that the Hokies. Have had a five or a four-game losing streak. They didn't have a single four-game losing streak in Frank Beamer's twenty last twenty-three years <laughs> as head coach. Obviously, early in his tenure, they did. So this is this is not a sudden decline by any stretch of the imagination. But as you mentioned, you, know, you fall behind by three scores and you have no pulse on offense, but yet. All of a sudden, you're within 20 to 14 late, and you're a third and eight stop away from having a chance to win this thing. But as has been the trend throughout this season for Virginia Tech, when the game is on the line, no one makes a play. 
Tyler Van Dyke made a play for Miami, and uh, they they converted and and ran out the clock. I mean, a lot of what ifs for Virginia Tech. Daywan Lofton gets behind the secondary. He's got a walk in touchdown, and it's the first possession of the third quarter. Might have brought some life uh, to the crowd, although a lot of people scattered at halftime. But he dropped it, and it's just they they are a mess right now. Now, David, like I said, you wrote about you know pride trying to focus, and, and rightfully so, on the positives, uh, showing fight uh, in a game that it seemed like they were out of, and um, some other small areas where, where he's seeing growth. But I thought the one stark criticism I saw come out of him, yes. uh, and maybe you read it differently, maybe you read it the same, it was for his offensive coaching staff. And, and yes. I'll, I'll read you the quote, which, which I believe you used. Yeah. Uh, sometimes he said, quote, sometimes it's too easy to get a beat on us. We've got to be able to do a little bit more to make it more challenging to defend it structurally. In other words, saying, hey, we're not great. We don't have skill players. We're not going to break big plays. We have to be less predictable, more creative in our coaching. Uh, I took that as kind of an indictment of his offensive staff. 100%. And I, I don't even think it was veiled. I thought it was pretty transparent. And and the interesting thing is, Mike, and, and he he prefaced that remark with as he has several times. He's looking at it through the lens of a defensive coordinator. What if I'm trying to defend the Virginia Tech offense? What's gonna make my life difficult? And he doesn't think Virginia Tech's offense is presenting those problems. And that's what he is trying to fix. I think it's a very fair criticism of his staff and of his uh, unit. And it's something that they're going to go to work on during the open date here before the Thursday night game at North Carolina State. You mentioned, you know, they do have the week off. We always say off, but obviously they'll be practicing and working. And coaches talk about that that self-scout, right? Mm-hmm. Looking inward, looking at what, what have you done to become predictable? What 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 are you doing well? What, what do you maybe need to get away from? Uh, but big picture, David, do you think this is, A, a bigger rebuilding situation than, than maybe we expected? And do you think Brent Pry knew just how, how bad things were there in Blacksburg? I think he did. You know, I, if, if you really took a hard look at the Virginia Tech program, you, you had to know. And if he didn't know, Mike, he got an eyeful <laughs> at the pinstripe bowl. And, and he, was, he was there. And now, granted, th- th- there were a lot of people missing and all that, but you get boat raced by a six and six Maryland team. You know, you've got some work ahead. Uh, maybe they overestimated Grant Wells. You know, he, he continues uh, to in- encourage Grant. And in Wells's defense, you know, I mentioned the loft and drop. There were a couple times. Saturday and Mike, this has been a season-long trend where his receivers, like on a third and eight, are running seven-yard routes, and they're coming up a yard shy of the sticks. And I'm like, "What are you? What are you doing? Show some, show some situational awareness." And then here's another thing. And and Pry often talks. He uses the phrase, "quote complementary ball." Unquote. And we all know what that is. The offense feeds off the defense, feeds off the special team, all that stuff. The offense is getting zilch from the defense and from special teams. Virginia Tech's punt return team is a mess. Saturday's field position was terrible because the Hokies can't return punts. They don't catch them when they need to, and the ball ends up rolling. And Mike threw seven games this season. Virginia Tech's defense has five takeaways. That's tied for 121st nationally. There are only four teams in the country with fewer takeaways than Virginia Tech. And they just think simply they need more, right? I mean, from I think everybody. It's it's easy to bang on Wells. I think he's been not the problem. Yeah, but serviceable. Right, but hasn't been the solution. Yeah. Right, right, they needed somebody there to come in and, and be the solution to be um, this you know spellbinding playmaker to ba- bail them out of bad situations. He's been fine, but he hasn't been the answer. And then defensively, I, you know, I, I thought they played obviously a lot better than the previous three games. But you mentioned that third down stop, and then I go back to the opener against Old Dominion. It, it just seems like when the game is on the line. This defense doesn't have the metal to, to kind of rise up and, and make that play. 
Yeah, and 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 Price said this post game. They were soft in the first half. They really, they really were. I mean, Miami only got three points after intermission, but in in the first half, soft. And especially there early, Mike. What happens on the first possession? Virginia Tech's driving, and Daquan Wright, who's been really a revelation these these last three games, true freshman tight end, who they're moving around into the using him in the slot. He catches a slant ball over over the middle. It's going to be a first down. They're going to be in Miami territory. Nice, encouraging first drive. He fumbles when he gets hit. Miami recovers. Well, right then and there, you need your defense to make a stop. What happens? Tyler Van Dyke, 30 yards. Tyler Van Dyke, 37 yards. Tyler Van Dyke, five-yard touchdown pass. Seven nothing. The air's out of the building. Yeah, and, and it's it's happened multiple times where where it just seems like there are these tipping points. And again, and and a lot of it, you know, I, I hate to make it sound so simple, but a lot of it comes down to this team isn't making plays because it doesn't have a lot of playmakers, mm-hmm. right? And I'm I'm a little surprised on the defensive side that that we haven't seen. You you mentioned the takeaway number that. We haven't seen more um, big plays on that side of the ball, but but it just doesn't there. And um, then David, for, for a little salt in the wound oh, Saturday, yeah. when yeah. you talk about playmakers, there's Hendon Hooker, uh, the former Virginia Tech quarterback. Uh, he transferred out uh, just before Justin Fuente's final season, had the bizarre incident in, in the Clemson game where, where he was reportedly too cold to continue playing. Mm-hmm. Um he owes and transfers to Tennessee, and and David, what did Tennessee do this weekend? They upset Alabama, uh, really through the, the the college football playoff picture into a whole new uh, view. Hooker has been absolutely outstanding for the Volunteers, even more so this year. Um, a dynamic playmaker, a guy who's building a, a Heisman campaign. Uh, what do you think if you're a Tech fan watching that? <laughs> you're, not not watch? you're not watching it. And he, Mike, you talk about salt in the wounds. Let's double down. He threw five touchdown passes to Jalen Hyatt on Saturday. Where did Jalen Hyatt originally commit to? Yeah. Virginia Tech. I mean, it's just, it's one of those avert your eyes kind of deals for, for Hokie Nation. I mean, Hendon Hooker's played 19 games for Tennessee, and he's responsible for 54 touchdowns, and he threw his first pick of the season Saturday against Alabama. And and the way they did it, you know, they had that scoop and score against him, Hooker and his running back there in the shadow of their own end zone on the zone read, have that miscommunication. Alabama scoop score up seven late, and you think, oh, boy. You know, here, here it comes, roll damn tide, but uh-uh. They didn't blink, and they got that knuckleball field goal at the end, 52-49, drive home safely. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it isn't just statistics, right? This isn't a guy who transferred to a small school and is putting up big numbers again. <laughs> right. I mean, th- this is a guy who went to the SEC, is taking on you know the best programs week in and week out, and is playing on a level that, that I think, Tech fans believed he could attain, uh, wanted him to attain, and wanted him to attain in the maroon and orange. Um, he still got the orange, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but the, the maroon in there. And um, again, you, you know, you don't want to go back and, and relitigate the the previous staff over and over. But man, to think that they had a weapon like that uh, and, and weren't able to develop him or get him anywhere near—clearly, I, I think it's fair now to say—couldn't get him anywhere near his potential. Um, we're seeing his potential now. And yes, magnified, you know, infinitely more times than I think most of us envisioned. Yeah, it's really been, uh, and, and you know, I don't know, not to get on a side here, but I don't know what we expected from Josh Heupel and Tennessee in terms of, you know, we've seen that program to be seemingly in a good place, able to get talent, um, you know, a good pedigree and just never quite get get anywhere into the national picture really um, in a long time and a carousel of coaches. Uh, what they've done this year is really impressive and, you know, something we're probably watching a little closer because Hooker is in the middle of it. Now on the less impressive side of things is Virginia, their star quarterback, Brandon Armstrong, all of the things that probably we, we went into the year thinking uh, what the, what they could do, what they could be. And, and, and none of that has come to pass. They had the open date, uh, they're an underdog at Georgia Tech Thursday night. And David, this is really, to me, 
although I said it last week about Louisville, this is now really the last chance to turn around the season. It it sure seems that way when you look at the remaining schedule, right? Um, you know, might this be the if if I know you're gonna you're gonna write about this later in the in the day, is this the easiest game left on the schedule? I, I think it is, and um, that which is funny to say because Virginia has fared terribly in Atlanta. In Atlanta, uh, yeah. they, they have not played well there. Um, but you look at it, and then it goes to the speak to the, the state of things in, in the Commonwealth. But as I'm, I'm working on that article, you know, I'm, I'm ranking the game, the remaining games, from the most winnable to the least winnable. Um, right now, the most winnable to me is Georgia Tech. Or, or sec- Virginia Tech, right? The second most winnable is Virginia Tech. Um, yeah. And the kicker there, if you're just trying to grab a couple more wins, is both of them come on the road. Yeah. Uh, you know, Virginia's got an advantage here down the stretch that they play four games at home. They play five games in the state of Virginia. Well, the other game in the state of Virginia is at Virginia Tech. That's certainly been a house of horrors for this program for, for over a decade. Um, and the home slate, it's the rest of the coast. It's the the really good teams in the coastal. Uh, North Carolina, who appears to be the, the class of the division, uh, the only ranked team on that side of the league. Pittsburgh, Miami. Um, I've got North Carolina as the toughest remaining game. Then I have Miami, then Pittsburgh. I could have flipped those. Yeah. Coastal Carolina, I might have had them as the second toughest remaining. Until? Until Old Dominion got them and, and reminded us that uh, this entire Commonwealth is wide open for the title of, of best team Liberty in there. Jam, you had their loss. Uh David, how do you look at it though? But I, mean, I think it's Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, and then and then you're you're kind of desperate to try to find another one or two. Yeah, I'm not sure what to make of the co- of Coastal now. I mean, yeah. Old Dominion got them big now, beat them soundly. So maybe the Chanticleers were were living off that soft part of the schedule um, because much like Virginia's, they their docket is is backloaded with with tougher games not only in the Sun Belt but non-conference. So uh, I if if I were doing, I would probably flip Pitt and and Miami just because I've seen both of them in person now and I I like. Pit a little bit better th- than I do Miami, but I think they're they're pretty much of a coin flip. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I had to trouble with that one, and um, I had a hard time getting the Georgia Tech loss uh, out of my mind for Pittsburgh. Um, sure, uh, but then Miami certainly has their own stinker earlier in the year. What's interesting at Miami, David, is that Mario Cristobal and the Hurricanes they seem to be adapting their offense to their star quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the play calling, and, and again, some of it is situational, but if you look at the play calling, uh, they've been throwing it a ton. They came out very much like Tony Elliott in Virginia, desiring to be balanced, desiring to be 50-50, desiring to you know get half their yards running the football and being committed, um, at times stubbornly committed uh, to that. Now, other things went into to Miami's shaky start, but what we've seen here in the past two weeks, uh, where, where Van Dyke is just putting up monster numbers, he's got almost 900 passing yards uh, the past two weeks, I think seven touchdown passes in that time. Uh, what we've seen is they've just gone and said, hey, we're going to let our, our star player, our best player air it out. I'm curious at Virginia coming out of the open date, will they have done that self-scout? Will they have looked at things and say, hey, if we want to save face and, and win a couple more games here, we need to we need to let Armstrong and these receivers loose. It's a really fascinating question, and were I in charge, the answer would be a resounding yes. Uh, Saturday, by the way, was my first glimpse in person of Tyler Van Dyke. Hmm. Whoa. I mean, he has got arm talent, as the scouts like to say, and to think that Miami wasn't going to fully showcase that to me is baffling and he's got really gifted receivers and and tight ends now will mallory who's probably as good a tight end as there is in the league got hurt and didn't play a good bit of of the back half of of saturday's game but clearly that's miami's forte and throwing the ball is is got to be virginia's with this current personnel so by all means you, you've got to lean on your strength. Yeah, you know, I, I understand Elliot's point. He keeps bringing up about he's got to do things the way he wants his program to look. But I, every coach I've ever covered talks about you bend your system mm-hmm. to your current personnel. 
right? You're installing your concepts. You're installing your base. You're stressing what you want to stress. But when you get out there on game day, you have to know what your guys do well and what they don't do well, where you're going to find success, where you're not. Because, David, I thought Tony had a lot of positive momentum uh, on the recruiting front, especially in-state. I thought there was good energy and bounce around the program. I thought Armstrong coming back, you know, that really helped. Um Certainly what they lost in the offensive line and, and watching that Michigan game with uh, you know UVA's old center, <laughs> just really playing a dominant ball game in, in that one against Penn State. Um, you understood that, that it might not be as good. It might not be the same. But I think Tony Elliott needs to win some games here down the stretch to be in a good position to kind of launch his program, right? I, I, you know, Bronco launched his program with a 2-10 and 10 season. Um, it worked. He grinded and he got there. But I think Elliot, because he was inheriting a program that was in a better position. Yes. Right. I, I think he just needs to, as a neighbor's dog, just walks by my window and is, is peeking in and watching the podcast. If only this was a video <laughs> pod, uh, he's staring at me through the window. But uh, you know, I think because of where he inherited this program, I, I think he needs a better first season, a better launching point. And that's why I think you got to loosen up, let Armstrong let her rip and try to get two, three wins here down the stretch. Well, Mike, in preseason, we, we both remarked how this roster makeup struck us as similar to 2018, mm-hmm. which was Bryce Perkins' first year as the starter. And we figured that as, as gifted as he was, he was going to spend a lot of time eluding the pass rush because the offensive line was not built to win yet but that Virginia was going to have to rely on Perkins and his wideouts to make a go of it. And guess what? They did. They had a really good season, and they shut out South Carolina in the Belk Bowl to essentially stamp themselves as Coastal Division favorites moving forward, a mantle that they carried to the title and and to the Orange Bowl. So, I mean, coming in, I thought this team probably had – Seven win p- potential. That was kind of my hmm. thinking on, on, on the ceiling. Uh, not this. Now, you know, the season's not lost, but what's not working would be foolish to keep banging that drum. Yeah, I'm with you 110%. You know, I, I had this I had this team and Virginia Tech at five and six going into their uh, regular season finale with one of them becoming bowl eligible, one of them not. And I don't know that either of them are going to reach that that mantle by the time we get to that point. But um, you know, we talked about the salt in the wound for, for Tech with Hendon Hooker. How about for Virginia? Looking at, at Syracuse, the former yeah. offensive staff doing all the things, David, that you and I just talked about <laughs> with Garrett Schrader, uh, with Aronde Gadsden. Uh, now they're undefeated, and they go to undefeated Clemson. About Syracuse at Clemson, as far as a game, that was supposed to be the, oh, God, Clemson, don't screw up and lose to the Orange game, right? The the the, the sleeper upset pick, not a titanic, you know, match of unbeaten teams this late in the season, but that's exactly where we are. How about that? You know, Syracuse six and zero for the first time since the eighties. You know, Clemson. You know, they're they're accustomed to to being undefeated this late, but both impressive. I thought <clears throat> on Saturday, Syracuse winning at home against NC State. Now, you know, the, the season's kind of gone south. For the Wolfpack with Devin Leary now lost for the season mm. uh, with his pec injury, and that leaves Jack Chambers as the Wolfpack's quarterback, and they were only able to get three field goals up at the Dome. Syracuse, as much as we talk about the job that Robert and I and Jason Beck have done, and rightfully so, but that defense is pretty salty now, yeah. and they're good, and they're going to give Clemson all at once. On, on Saturday, but then, you know, Clemson to win in Tallahassee, it got a little too close for comfort, I'm sure, for Dabo <laughs> late, where they needed to recover the onside kick, but that was a game that they were in control of for much of the second half. Yeah, David, you mentioned it with Brent Pry, but the idea of complementary football, to me, that's what Syracuse is doing uh, at a really high level. Good defense, good offense, some balance with Sean Tucker in the run game and Garrett Schrader and everything that Anai and Beck are doing in the pass game. Great um, kicker. Yeah, great kicker. Maybe, maybe the best in the conference. I, I think that um, you know, you look at Syracuse, and, and I don't think they get it done at Clemson. Clemson is Clemson's a two-touchdown favorite. That seems a little big to me. I think Syracuse makes a game of it. Um, I think the final score is going to be, does Syracuse have the ball at the end to get 
within two touchdowns <laughs> or, or does Clemson have it to hold them off? And yeah, I, I think Clemson's going to be seven to 10 points better all game. And then the next set, it's just a question if you're of the betting mind, which we're about to get into, but uh, of that mind of who has the ball there at the end. But um, my question will be more with Syracuse, assuming they do lose the Clemson game. Hey, they're still having a great season. Yeah, can they finish? Can they finish it off? You know, can they come because this their schedule? It is seems like rough, right? And and maybe that's just it. It feels like everybody in the ACC, and I don't know how that's mathematically possible. Maybe it's just the teams we pay attention to. But it seems like everybody has these backloaded schedules where they're hammering into each other. But Syracuse may have it as worst as anybody. Yeah, they still got they got to play Wake, and they, I believe they still have Notre Dame mm-hmm. left on the schedule. Florida State. Yeah, so a lot of work left for the Orange. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That That's going to be a game to watch. Across the board, of course, there are other games to watch this weekend. Well, we're joined now by Mike Sveditz, General Manager of Front Page Bets. And before we get into this week's action, Mike, credit where credit is due, uh, because I, I know you wrote about it much earlier in the year, but uh, on last week's episode of the podcast, you called Tennessee over Alabama, uh, the Hendon Hooker show, and, and certainly... <laughs> That that was the biggest result of the weekend, and that's how that one played out. So go ahead and go ahead and give yourself a little pat on the bat for that. Well, well, thanks. I'll try not to break my shoulder, you know, trying to pat myself on the back. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Mike, because it's one of the only bets I've won, or one of the only you know <laughs> prognoses I've gotten right um, this season. But you know, I I think what a great game yesterday. I mean, if you would have told me that Alabama would give up 52 points, you know, Nick Saban defense. I would have told you you're crazy. And, you know, that was the most points Alabama has given up since 1907 to Swanee when they scored 54 points. So so uh, Nick Saban, uh, you know, was not very pleased as we saw last night. But what a great win for Tennessee in that program. And, you know, Hendon Hooker, obviously, the Virginia Tech fans know about him. And, um, you know, and, and – and, and Hyatt, five touchdown catches. He has six receptions all game and five of them for touchdowns. An amazing game. You can, you can t- talk about the refereeing. You can talk about the phantom call or you know, whatever it was, but I mean, what an atmosphere up there in Knoxville and Rocky Top and, uh, an incredible, uh, Southeastern Conference game. Just an incredible college football game. So, but thank you for, for, uh, letting everybody know that I called it. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, well, you know when I when I went to do my top twenty five ballot, uh, I still had Georgia number one. I think it, it's hard for me to get that image of what Georgia did to Oregon right. um, out of my mind, and I think Oregon's pretty good. Um, I kept them number one. I kept Ohio State number two. They've been absolutely whipping everybody now. They haven't really played anybody yet. Uh, Tennessee's had some close ones, right? Close one with yeah. Pitt, yeah. close one with Alabama. That game, the Alabama game, was in Tennessee. Um, but it was funny because you know everybody has their reaction to to who you move up or who you don't move up and where you put them. And I finally responded to some of the, the Tennessee critics who wanted to be number one by saying, uh, "Hey, number three isn't too bad. It's not yeah, like I, right. it's not like I snubbed you guys." So, yeah. uh, But that was that was certainly a fun one. Now on the opposite end of the, of the hype meter, uh, the whole nation was waiting right for <laughs> Alabama, Tennessee. I don't think the whole nation is waiting for UVA at Georgia Tech. Uh, I don't know how much of UVA Nation and, <laughs> and Yellow Jacket Nation are waiting for Thursday night's game, but they're going to play it nonetheless. Uh, Georgia Tech, who's 2-0 and right now under the interim coach, uh, seem to have things going in a little, at least a little bit better direction. Uh, the Yellow Jackets, they opened as a two-and-a-half-point favorite over UVA Thursday night. Mike, that line has already moved to three-and-a-half as we record this uh, Sunday night. So first off, what do you make of, of kind of where the line is moving? Well, Again, it goes to show you where where Vegas thinks everybody's going to bet. You know, and and UVA coming into this at two and four, Georgia Tech with a better record. You know, you said not many people are. If this was a basketball game, I think people are like, okay, you know, maybe they could get up for it. But uh, you know, a Thursday night football game uh, with these two ACC teams in Atlanta. You know, Georgia Tech three and three, UVA two and four. It's it's not a great matchup. I think a lot of folks are maybe saying, you know, we've talked about it all year. Virginia's not very good. Um, I wouldn't put money on Virginia uh, right now. And Georgia Tech under the interim coach having some success, um, you know, playing at home. That's where you're seeing the line move, I think. And you're th- and again, you, what are 
better's going to bet. And and if you're seeing the line move like that, especially a point after a day, less than a day of it opening, you're seeing a lot of bets um, in Georgia Tech's favor. So maybe they're trying to get a little bit more on the Virginia side, or at least you're trying to, you know, get, get a little bit of a middle there. But these two teams, again, not very good. Georgia Tech is at least three and three against the spread. UVA is one and five against the spread. Um, they've both teams have only hit the over once um, and UVA away from home is 0 and 3. So you, you look at the trends, you look at the teams, you look at what they've done, you look at the rosters, you look at the resume, um, you know, Georgia Tech playing at home again all year. We've talked about three, three, two and a half, three points as a home favorite with all things being equal, all things are equal and they're on the wrong side of the positive here. So I think you've got, I think you're looking at this line going, yeah, you know, Georgia tech, I could see them winning by, by, by field goal plus. Um, and that's what you got. Yeah, I think the two and a half was certainly enticing. Almost if you forget about Georgia Tech, right? If you tell me, hey, Virginia is going to go on the road uh, and the opponent only has to beat them by three points, <laughs> that's pretty enticing. Now, yeah. you, you factor in Georgia Tech and some of their things. Now, the, the thing that's crazy, and, and I'm with you in terms of I wouldn't bet on Virginia at all at this point. Right. I don't know that I would bet against them. It, it does feel like there's going to be at least a game Right, and we've seen it with Miami and Tyler sure. Van Dyke. There's going to be a game where Brendan Armstrong and this offense, you know, puts up the big numbers. I, they may not turn the season around. They may not get to a point where they break through and then they're good. But you figure they're going to get somebody. Uh, Georgia Tech is as good a candidate as any <laughs> to be Correct. that somebody. Uh, right. So I'm kind of scared on both sides. But I, I think you, I think you and I are on the same page here. It's probably a, a game you just stay away from in general. Uh, including watching it starts to feel like <laughs> if you got something better to do what's the thursday night football game this week just, the, the, the nfl, the NFL has been throwing some real stinkers on, on you're thursday not lying you're not lying ACC wanted to join the parade well, there's yes. playoff baseball we can always go to playoff baseball right i'm just hoping my yankees are still kicking around but uh the other big game or the big game i'd say in, in the acc uh syracuse at clemson and it's been interesting to see Kind of Vegas get back on board with Clemson, I think, mm-hmm. as we all have. Uh, right. you know, poll voters, everybody with DJU and starting to believe like, okay, this is a another title contending Clemson team. Vegas and, and everyone a little slow to come around on Syracuse. They're the lowest ranked remaining undefeated team in the nation. This is Clemson by almost two touchdowns. I saw them as a 13-point uh favorite what do you make of, of this game and and again this game is in clemson to me that, that that's a big difference yeah if you would have told me syracuse would be six and oh going into the to this game against clemson and this one might be for you know kind of i want to say all the marbles in the acc but at least you know uh the leg up i would have laughed you know just as much as a lot of people laughed at me saying that you know tennessee was going to beat alabama but you know the syracuse is playing well you know ranked um and what what 14 now you know Clemson we know they were good we knew that they had you know some growing pains last year they were getting through this is a team clicking on all cylinders and Syracuse you know until again until they lose they're playing with all the confidence we talked about it last week they're playing with house money you know they're they're rolling right now they've, they've got a lot of confidence a lot of swagger but I think it I think that kind of not that the swag ends this weekend, but at least the winning streak ends on Saturday, you know, in Death Valley Memorial Stadium. Uh, you know, Clemson's just too good of a football team. Um, Syracuse hasn't really been tested by that good of a football mm-hmm. team. Now, they've been tested, but they haven't been tested by that a team that can play and, and, and across the board just better athletes. Um, and again, if you look at, though, the 13, 13 and a half, depending on what book you're looking at, you're looking at a 51 over under or 56 and a half, I think is as high as I've seen it right now. You know, you're looking at the spread. Now, if you're betting against the spread, that's a lot of points. You know, uh, even with Clemson's high-powered offense, Syracuse is 5 and 1 against the spread. Um so they're looking pretty good if you're going to take, you know, Cuse, or excuse me, Clemson to win straight up, but Cuse might cover that 13 points the way they're playing. So this is this is one of those deals where if you want to bet the money line, you're not going to get much value out of Clemson. Um, but if you want to bet, play them against the spread, you might can win some money here if you take Syracuse to cover or at least to, you know, to be within that 13 and a half points. Um, and so I think you're looking at a Clemson win, but, you know, Syracuse, they don't, I don't think Clemson covers the 13, at least right now, the way that both teams are playing. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You always talk about Vegas and, and the numbers tending to be right on, on the button. Um, and that's exactly how this one feels to me, right? It feels like Clemson's probably two touchdowns better, but could Syracuse get that late score that, um, you know, they always say on TV that matters to some people? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, the backdoor cover, right? Exactly. It certainly feels like, you know, Clemson could be um, a touchdown better, keep them at arm's length all night, Um lead by two scores at some point and then it's just who has kind of the ball last in terms of the, the spread but uh, exactly. i think you're right on do you have any other big bold predictions nationally that we can <laughs> get, give you the stage here to, to mean, share or, or you want to quit while you're ahead no i'll quit while i'm ahead but i'll just say three weeks from now you know that tennessee georgia game um in athens between athens between the hedges is going to be that's going to be something that's probably going to be the biggest uh sec east game in a long long time no doubt. Looking forward to that one and looking forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for joining us, Mike. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right, David. Well, let's shift gears for a moment here and hit a little ACC basketball. We had Basketball Media Day down in Charlotte, a uh, great event put on by the conference. Got to spend time, as did you, with the commissioner, uh, Jim Phillips, get some of his thoughts on on where the league is headed. Um, he held first, he held kind of a conference with everybody where he talked about what has been and, and you know, in very John Swafford fashion, still recounted the success, <laughs> right? And, and yeah. ticked off all the academic achievements. And uh, why not, right? If you got it, got it, flaunt it. And, and he talked about, um, you know, other other sports, other areas. And um, he did address, you know, football and a lot of his, uh, you know, commissioner's forum there with the media uh, dealt with football and dealt with other topics. But David, I thought he got into to something interesting, which I think you and I both talked to him then privately about in terms of he's open to the idea of expanding the NCAA tournament. Now, you wrote about this, uh, kind of where you fall on the topic. We, we've seen a little bit of a split in, in the coaches in the conference. Uh, Virginia Tech's Mike Young says the tournament you know, is the best thing going. Don't mess with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard Hamilton and some other guys talked about, hey, everybody's judged on on making the NCAA tournament. Let's open it up and, and make it uh, more accessible. Uh, what do you think the future is, and, and where do you fall on this one? Well, I am adamantly opposed to messing with the bracket, Mike. Um, as as Mike Young remarked, making the NCAA tournament is supposed to be hard. Yeah, it it really is. And what I have always said to folks, I mean, Lefty Drizel often said everyone should make the NCAA tournament. Well, guess what? Everybody does make the NCAA tournament. It's just that the opening rounds are staged in your conference tournament. Advance there, you get to the main bracket of the NCAA tournament. It's very simple. And those who would talk about the athlete experience and and giving more the opportunity to experience March Madness, guess what? The atmosphere is and the experience of their conference tournaments, I don't care if it's the Ivy League or the Big East, those environments are going to be a whole lot better than some manufactured opening round game at some far-flung venue that your fans can't get to on short notice because those games are going to have to be on Tuesday and Wednesday because newsflash, CBS isn't letting this thing interfere with the Masters. So forget <laughs> trying to... Pr- you know, prolong the tournament past its its stop date now. So uh, t- t- to me, no, it's a hard pass on expanding the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and maybe I, I sound like a uh, get off my lawn, you know, <laughs> right? cranky. But, you know, what you said, the NCAA tournament, it's supposed to be hard to make. Part of the reason that the atmosphere is what it is, that that student-athlete experience is what it is, is because it's special, because you have to earn that. Yeah. And I, I think it will just, you know, I, I look at the, whatever they call them, first round, first four, playing, we call them playing games still, even though we're not supposed to. Um, I love when those pit power five conference major programs that didn't yeah. get the job done to qualify. I hate when they send an automatic champion qualifier there. And I know people say, well, now they have a chance to say they won an NCAA tournament game. Well, Central Florida says it won a national championship in football. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we can say lots of things. It it doesn't make it the case. And, and, and deep down, people know that. Um, to me, this event is massive, right? You let a lot of teams in. There are multiple ways to get in. You can win your conference tournament. You can earn it with an at-large. Mm-hmm. To, to me, it is it is inclusive. It is outstanding. It is a ton of fun. It is big, but not so big that it's you're, you can get there without merit. Um, 
I think it's crazy. And, and I, I don't see a value in it. I don't see a value in it for, I don't see a value in it for the players, right? I, I, I don't know that a couple of marginal teams making it in um, and then beating up on some bad teams in some early games adds anything for anybody. Um, I remember it came up when I was covering high school sports at the start of my career and about the idea that they were going to rotate around these kind of floating playoff bids so that certain conferences could be more represented. And what ended up happening was you had football teams that won one game or basketball teams that won two or three games getting into the VHSL, the state playoffs, and just getting their butts handed to them. And if you've ever been on on a bad team, which I have... (laughs) And and that's an area in which I can contribute being bad. Uh, you want your season to end at some point. If you're one of those teams that, that is only going to win a couple basketball games, maybe one football game, you're not trying to prolong the damn thing. So the idea of letting everyone in, ridiculous. I think the number they're at is great. Amen, brother. Preach. Now, there were other topics, and one of them in terms of making the NCAA tournament was the fact that a year ago, there was undeniably a narrative nationally uh, and within the conference, I think, that the ACC was having a down year. Only now, because it was. Yeah. And I was going to say, it's not based on <laughs> smoke and mirrors. Uh, the ACC underperformed in its non-conference. Uh, its teams, even in league play, were inconsistent, a little bit unpredictable. Now, to its credit, turned it on in March Madness, turned it on in the NCAA tournament, put two teams in the final four, a team in the national title game. When the dust settled on last season, you had to think, hey, the ACC was pretty damn good again in basketball. But that narrative plagued them all year, and it may have been a big reason why they only got five teams into the big dance. Now, Jim Phillips talked a lot about that. He talked about the idea that hey, it's fair or unfair, right? How you come out of the gate is going to have an impact on on how you're perceived. But David, I think, and he does too, this league looks like it's in position and has the weapons to come out of the gate a lot better this year. Oh my gosh, yes. Just look at the returning talent. How often, Mike, in the last decade maybe, in kind of the one and done era, how often have you thought, wow, Someone that played in the national championship game the year before is returning four starters. Right. That's what North Carolina does, including Armando Baycott, who may be the preseason player of the year. Not in the ACC. That's an easy choice. He may be the preseason player of the year nationally, and he's going to be a candidate for first team all American if he continues to perform as as he did in in postseason. Last year, especially, you know, and then you got Caleb Love and R.J. Davis and Leaky Black, and and then they add Pete Nance, the, the transfer from Northwestern, who maybe fills that Brady Manic role. I mean, they could be a load. Duke's got plenty of freshmen again. Virginia's going to be, you know, terrific as, as as we've discussed. Mike, I'll 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 read you this graphic or or just summarize this graphic that I saw on the ACC network. And this was several months ago. Highest percentage of returning scoring among major conference teams. Virginia is number two at 90%. BC, which I, who I think can be a sleeper here is number five at 72%. Carolina, number eight at 66%. Notre Dame, number 10 at 64%. That's four of the top 10 Mm-hmm. Our ACC teams in per, in percentage of returning scoring. I'd love to be able to drill down, and and I'm not sure what's accessible to us and what isn't. But the impact of NIL on, on so much talent coming back, yep. and I know, you know we talked to Justin Mutz, and, and he talked about you know coming back to win, and, and I think Armando Baycott has talked a lot about you know wanting to finish the job after after losing in the national title game. But Armando Baycott's also been on television. Uh, Justin Mutz has an NIL partnership down in Blacksburg that helps get get him some some money coming. I wonder if if nothing else, if the NIL climate in this country doesn't make it more palatable beyond just I want to come back and win, right? Because sometimes, yeah. even though we love it, sometimes that almost sounds a little immature, right? Like, well, I, I want to come back and try to win again. I'm, I'm not ready to to go earn a living. Now, I think to me, that's admirable to, to want to stay in, in school and, and finish uh, what you started, finish with your teammates. Uh, but I wonder if the NIL climate doesn't make it um, seem like, okay, not only is this what I want to do, not only is this where my heart is, but it, it kind of makes some financial sense too. Mike, I don't wonder about it at all. I think, <laughs> I think it's patently true. 
Well, I think you're absolutely on to something there. Right? The, the, the athletes now have more incentive to, to stick around. And Ar- Armando Baycott was, was talking about that last week in, in Charlotte, and he really enjoyed filming that netflix series yeah and he just talked about how much fun it was and in education he goes i never knew so much went into it and how really hard work it was not physically grinding but just (laughs) in terms of hours and and makeup and preparation and all that goes into the production of a television show and those kind of opportunities are priceless for young people and that's what's so cool about the NIL era. Yeah, yeah, that's that's when when their people are getting it right. And, and we've seen, and most of my talk with, with Commissioner Phillips was about this, but we've seen the the stuff that goes the other way, right? The inducement based <laughs> stuff that that is essentially designed to move players to get them to commit or to transfer. But when you see stuff like what Baycott did, and and you know, I drive uh, in and out of town if I'm going down to the Triangle, particularly, I pass billboards with Dontavian Wicks. Uh, Virginia's wide receiver uh, for a local jeweler. Um, those things are, are what NIL is, is about or are supposed to be about. And I think you're right that, that I think kids enjoy it, right? Like I think they enjoy getting a taste of it before that needs to become their life, right? Before it needs to become their livelihood. Uh, so do it, it is, but, but on the court, um, it has contributed to what I think is going to be an outstanding year in the ACC. David, I think you and I are both, uh, I, I think we can skip over number one on our predicted order of finish. I, I yes. had Carolina there and I didn't hesitate. Let me ask you this. Who do you think is the biggest threat to Carolina atop the ACC, uh, if there is one? And then who do you think, and you mentioned one team already, but who do you think are some sleepers, some teams that are going to be better than maybe people are thinking? Oh, my top three were Carolina, Duke, and UVA. I don't think that's any kind of outlier. Uh, I, I'm guessing that's how the, the, the consensus will vote. We'll, we'll know later in the week when the ACC releases the preseason poll. Now, I think Miami's going to be really good mm-hmm. with with the transfers, you know, especially Nigel Pack. I mean, he was first team all Big 12. Big 12 was the best conference in college basketball last year. He was the best player, yep. Yeah, so, so clearly that cat can play. And Jim Laranega's program is traditionally guard-friendly. So I, I have no question that the Hurricanes are going to be good. Notre Dame is old yet again. I voted Dane Goodwin preseason All-ACC. I think that they'll, be, they'll be fine. Florida State is going to be Florida State again, providing the Seminoles stay, stay healthy. I'm really curious to see this young man they recruited from Spain, big big 6'10", 6'9", kid with, with skills, kind of that, that, that stretch four uh, kind of player. You, we all know how Leonard Hamilton loves long guys <laughs> who, who can defend and make it difficult to attack the paint. You know, I mentioned BC as is, is, is kind of a potential sleeper. You know, do we know how PJ Hall yeah. is responding to that knee surgery? Because to me, that's how Clemson's season will hinge. And then can Steve Forbes work more portal magic <laughs> at, at Wake Forest? I mean, we we never saw the the Deacons coming last year, and he ended up being ACC Coach of the Year, and in my mind, well deserved. And he he's got an influx of them again, including a point guard from from Marist. We'll we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if, if it counts as a sleeper, but I, I love Notre Dame's roster pairing with its coach, right? Like, I mean, you know, Mike Bray with a bunch of older guys, um, the trust they have, what the, what they're going to be able to do. I, I really like that team. Uh, I really like Mike Young in Virginia Tech this year with Justin Mutz back. Um, I, I think he has a chance to be uh, on, on another level. And we've seen him, you know, he's a guy we've talked about a lot, but who does it all, right? He doesn't, he's a scorer, he's a rebounder, he's a passer. Um, I really like, and and you hit the one that I've kind of circled. I had Clemson ninth in my predicted order of finish. If you tell me that PJ Hall comes back fully healthy, I probably undervalued them, and, and that's yeah. a team um, because I think Brad Brownell's teams are always solid defensively. I, I think they always play a good brand of basketball, and, and I think if Hall is is healthy, uh, they can re- really make some noise. I had Virginia over Duke, David. Sure, <sighs> very close call. Uh, Duke's loaded with talent. I don't think people appreciated enough Mike Shashevsky's ability, John Calipari's ability um, to coach these new teams every year, 
to, to get them to become cohesive, to get them to be functional as a unit. Yeah, they got a ton of talent. There's nobody that everybody would trade places, right? <laughs> nobody would say, I, I want my, well, maybe North Carolina, but nobody would say, I don't want Duke's talent. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see how John Shire can handle that task, which I think is an underappreciated task uh, in this country. When you have a talent load, can you form it into a team? Whereas Virginia, um, not that they don't have talent, this is a very talented Virginia roster, but they've got that experience. It's old, old right. talent, um, guys who've been through it. And, and I think Jaden Gardner and Armand Franklin, who were you know the, the focus really of the offense a year ago as transfers, uh, where they're at in terms of their comfort defensively, where they're at in terms of their comfort offensively. I think a lot of people are overlooking Franklin. You know, and I covered that blue-white scrimmage Saturday. He had four three-pointers, continued to play great defense. He felt like in the offseason, a guy who might get pushed almost to the side, right? They brought out a ton of young talent, um, really good freshman class, a lot of depth on this team, going to be hard to find minutes for everybody. I think Armand Franklin has put in the work, um, and he's not a guy to overlook this season. Did you did you vote Gardner preseason All ACC? I did. So yeah. I, I, I had seven guys I was really considering. I ended up going uh, Baycott and Love from Carolina, Isaiah Wong from Miami, uh, Terquavian Smith from NC State, and Jaden Gardner from Virginia. Uh, you look at Notre Dame. You look at Virginia Tech. There were a number of other guys that I, I had considered, but that's where I ended up landing. Yeah, I had Goodwin and yep. Pack instead of Smith and Wong. Interesting. Yeah, I think I think Wong is going to be. Uh, you talk about guys who decided to come back. Um, you know, I think Wong is going to be a lot of fun to watch this year. And in that, as you mentioned, in that backcourt, uh, that's just going to be a that's going to be a matchup nightmare for people who who want to try to slow them down. Yeah, I mean, it might be the best guard tandem in in the league. Yeah, certainly going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get a lot more into basketball as the year goes. And certainly we're going to finish off things with football. <laughs> we'll, we'll see where that takes us. Uh, but it's definitely a fun time of year, right? When they start to overlap. They overlap and, yeah. Yeah. I get to talk a little bit of both. And of course, if it's me, I've always got my Yankees up on the television. They stayed alive uh, game in five, Cleveland baby. for us in game five. So I'm hoping that my children uh, can, can eat their dinner and go to bed early and <laughs> <laughs> and I can settle in and, and enjoy a game five and then certainly hope it, it goes my way. Should be a lot of fun. Well, we hope you all had fun today. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the Times-Dispatch. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next week.